You're listening to Trot the Egging, hosted by John Hetherington, working with Witness Rugby Union Football Club, sponsored by Boydells. This week's rugby story belongs to a bridge end boy who got the old tale of being too small to make it in rugby union. He never gave up and threw a successful school team in a rugby league tournament. His life changed with an opportunity at Leeds Rhinos, which he grabbed with both hands. He spent a large chunk of his life down under and had spells with Ipswich Jets and Southwark and Magpies, but suffered with a serious knee injury. He came home and was talked into a spell with Swinton Lions, which he fully embraced and enjoyed, while proudly representing Wales. He's now thriving as a mindset coach, and helping people that way. Ladies and gents, Mr Ollie Oates. Follow, like, share, subscribe and endorse us via Facebook, Trot the Eggin, Twitter, at Trot the Eggin, slash at John Heath, Instagram, trot underscore D underscore egg underscore in. YouTube, trot the egg in. LinkedIn, John Hetherington. And Spotify, trot the egg in. Right, so what I will say is, mate, I'll be look, I'll be listening. I'll take notes. So when I promote your episode, I've got little quotes here and there I can use, mate, if that's okay. 100%. Oh, yeah, how have you been, mate? John, I'm good, thank you. I'm good, mate. No How are you? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. Good. So before we get stuck into your rugby story, Ali, where was home for you and, and who lived at home with you? Um, where is home for me? So home is, is Bridgen, South Wales. Um yeah. born and bred you. Um and then yeah, mum, dad, older brother who plays rugby league in Australia, and then a younger brother that doesn't play, but that's a, a family. Right, mate, and you reckon that competitive edge was always there than Ollie having one brother older, one younger? Yeah, I don't know about you, John, but having two brothers as siblings, mate, it's um, a crazy house. So I think my mum was glad to get rid of us. We were always fighting, um, wrestling, sports in the back garden, coming dirty all the time. But um, yeah, I think that's probably stemmed a lot of the competitiveness in myself and, and definitely my older brother. My younger brother doesn't play sports. I think... Um, I think he, he was better at other things, but yeah, me and my older brother definitely just constantly competing with each other. Yeah, and obviously not wanting to preempt anything, mate, but Wales is well known for the rugby union, mate, isn't it? The, the other call to most of our listeners and, and viewers. So was rugby union the first part of call, Ollie? Was that, was that where you were introduced to rugby and who was your first club? Yeah, so my, rugby union from the age of seven till... 15, 16, I believe. And then from that then, um, basically at that era, I don't know if it's the same now, but it was all about size. Um, so me being 5'8", five, 5'7", five, in between that, depending on which day it is, John. Um, <laughs> I got I got tapped on the shoulder. I, I went through all the academies and, and, and county teams. And then it got to a certain age where everyone started to develop. And I remember the coach telling me, mate, you're just too small. And really, uh, the, probably the best thing that ever happened to me was that. And then took the detour then to uh, rugby league, playing at, uh, originally my amateur team was Bridgen Blue Bulls. And then from that, then we got scouted into Celtic Crusaders when they were a Super League team yeah. um, down here, or within the championships, and then went into Super League. And um, I did the academy there. And then after one game, Barry McDermott, was the head of the uh, head of development of Leeds Rhinos, and he asked me. Well, they offered me a trial for six months, 
at the age of 17. Um, and then after that, then they offered me another season after that. And yeah, went from there. Mate, so Bridge and Blue Bulls is where John Devereaux played, didn't he? John, John had the spell there. Yeah. Um, a good, so that's a nice little mutual ground for us, mate. But so when you when you go back, mate, them regional stuff and like your club stuff, how was you in a new environment? Ollie, was it was you comfortable in it, mate? Even at, as a young age. In in league, you mean in playing like transitioning into rugby league? Oh, so go back to when you were like you were you were playing rugby union as a kid, mate, and you're hitting all the mark like the markers, aren't you? You know, as a kid, so you're playing club rugby regional. You're floating around the uh, the academies. You're saying because it's there's only if you as listeners don't know there's only four full like full time region academies in the mate, so yeah. they've got a lot to pick from. So how was you in that environment? Um, growing up playing union, like it was great. Um, I remember we 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 had a school tournament in Roslyn Park in England, and there's a seven aside tournament. I remember like the age of thirteen. We won it all, and I actually got um, player of the tournament in this pretty prestigious sevens tournament, and got sponsored. Yeah. There's a magazine called Rugby World magazine, and yeah. I got player of the month in that. The youngest ever player to do it. So everything from there was a trajectory of like, you know, going to make it down the union path. And uh, yeah, it was. It was never probably to the age of fifteen. There was never a thought of oh, I'm going to go to league. It was always union, union, union. Growing up, and then. Um, yeah, just this age there, that's where the crossroad really happened and the bittersweet of it all. Right, and how, how was school for you, mate? Was it something you enjoyed? Um, I enjoyed school because I was good at rugby. So I enjoyed it because, yeah. not, not the educational part, because um, I got away with murder because my school was a pretty prestigious school. We had the likes of um, the rugby league names. We had Kevin Ellis there, um, late transition Gavin Henson played there. Uh, a former British Lion, um, I believe, well, John Dever was there and, and Reese Webb, who recently finished playing. Um, the school is saturated in, in former professionals, so I was just one of many others that, that was lucky enough to do it with Josh Navidi, who played in the British Lions recently, uh, the most recent one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, regarding school, school was just sports um, and Brintig was a pretty big school. We won the, the, the Power Gen Cup at a young age, like Kevin Ellis was our, uh, our sports teacher for that. And he took us with we the youngest. Yeah, we won the DC Thomas, uh, no, the Power Gen Cup against Cass High at Millennium Stadium. Um, yeah. Early 2000s, I think. So is that where Reef Sevens went then? Because these are all yeah. ringing bells, the names, yeah. So me, Reef Sevens, Ben Evans, uh, were all in the same class. And, right, uh, okay. So... At that stage, after that tournament, Ben and Reese got picked up by Warrington Wolves, and then a little bit later, a little bit later, um, I got scouted by Leeds. So yeah, they left pretty early. Right. They left thirteen or fourteen year old. They left. Okay, mate. So when, what position are you playing at this point? Oh, in in leagues, was standoff. Yeah, in union, you're playing stand fly half in yeah, the terms of mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And how do you see the game differently, mate? Because as much as you've got it organised, there's yeah. semi-two different positions, aren't they? Yeah. I think I think um, fly half or yeah, number 10 in, in, in union is very much um, 
you know, you're, you're more, you're not looking too far, like fights, like a, you know, set of six, you're looking to get to a position to play. I think in union, it was yeah. very much, you know, truck, truck kick or, you know, crash ball to go again, but they are two, two very diverse sports. I know that the same thing is there's a similar shape ball in it, but apart yeah. from that, I think league and union are very far between each other now. Yeah, awful you weren't at the bottom of a ruck too much, mate. Not the old school rucks anyway. Yeah. Oh, I've had many of those rakes. I'm glad I'm glad that I never got to them. No, mate, no. So when when you're going going through the ranks then, mate, is it is playing for a prolific cause the school ended up being prolific, mate, and it is that a hindrance or is it an advantage, do you think? Well, because of it being such a like a sports dominated Yeah. Uh, Hard to say, John, because um, being in that environment of so many good players that have come before us, um, like they already had the structures in place for us to develop. Like they've seen the journey of other players before us. So the only one that was a rare one was obviously Ben and, and Reese Evans going to Warrington at the age of 14 or something like that. Normally, we were, someone was getting scouted to go to Union. Uh, but that was a massive move. But I think the school just, like you walk through that school and there's plaques, jerseys, um, you know, everyone that's played international or uh, played for the region or British and Irish Lions, you know. So I, I think that was the drive. You know, you see plaques on the wall of like Rob Howley or uh, Gavin Henson or even Kevin Ellis playing for Great Britain, things like that. It just gives you that thing, well, it's achievable. So I, I don't think it was a hindrance. I think it was actually more of a, you're in the right environment, you. A motivator. Mm. Yeah, because many corridor, mate, you'd walk down and you might get one or two of it break through. Not even international, but like really good club level. Yeah. Even if it's like League One, League like Championships, really good still, mate, in it. But mm. to walk down and see like Great Britain International, Lions at the pinnacle of any like, Viewers and listeners, whether you watch Rugby Union or not, you know about the Lions. It's a big franchise almost, if not as big as the All Blacks, isn't it, mate? And it, Yeah, it must have been daunting at times. But um, then positions you've mentioned, these are all in positions where the names are massive as well. Yeah. Well, I I remember I was a big fan of like Gavin Henson growing up. and um, he, he late, like at the end of his career, had a little go at the Scorpions for a little, oh no, Raiders. Yeah. Uh, West West Wales, yeah. uh, but I remember growing up, this was a stage where he was at his all-time best. I think he kicked that conversion against England. Um, uh, yeah, the fake time. I, yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember like going into yeah. school, putting on a bit of mum's fake time just to be like him. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> <laughs> it was good times, man. But yeah, I think yeah. I think having that around you is just is unbelievable. It's just so much history there. And do you know when you you rock up to like the regional stuff, mate, in Welsh Rugby Union? What's the what's the logistics? How does how does all that work? How's what's the selection process? Um, so for instance, you know you've got your um you've got your club level, and then after that, then they call it districts, so like your counties or whatever. Um, and then after that, then because it, it got cut down to four regions, you know yeah. this county would play against this county, or like this district would play against this district, and kind of like you'd have selectors which would be watching the games um, and then they would just go from there, you know, they pick a 30-man team, I believe, and, uh, and, and and that would basically be like, all right, you're in the Ospreys Academy, 
but you could never go over to the Blues. You could never go over to the Dragons or Scarlet. This was your catchment. So it was, that was yeah. the downfall as well. Maybe, you know, there was probably more populated players, as, you, as I just mentioned, in Bridgend, but we all had to go to the Ospreys. But maybe if we were open to allowed to go to the Blues or go to the Dragons or to the Scarlets, um, there might have been more opportunities because, yeah, there's probably a lot of people like to reflect back on now that should have made it, but they didn't make it. Yeah, no, that's it's they're making their own suffering, really. The Welsh Rugby Union, there aren't they? Make like limiting you, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't know because, like, up here, for instance, it's when you when we're so how old are you, Ollie? Sorry, I'm 30, right? So I'm I'm older than you, mate. I'm 34 this month. So when I was coming up, you had to have like a relative live mm. in another town to be able to play for a club in that other town, you know, like that sort of thing like a distant auntie or something, and you could, like, black, basically. So, in effect, sounds like, as a loophole, that's what you might have had to have done if you wanted to go to the Blues or the Dragons. Mm, 100%. Yeah, like, so, as far as I, I remember trying to, like, inquire to try and get to the Blues, but it was literally like, that's not your catchment, you're not eligible, regardless of who, if you was better than that player or not. Um, you just didn't, and then, yeah kind of just go back down to the districts or counties then. So, do you know when you're playing in the, like, the cup quarters, cup semis, cup finals, are you finding them as competitive as the regional trial stuff? Um, As in, like, playing, like, club-level club level rugby union compared to the and, regional. And school finals. Yeah, yeah, and school finals. I'd say the school finals were definitely just as competitive because, like, the teams we were playing against, some of them would be predominantly... Um, maybe go to a region. I remember, like, for instance, our school was a, predominantly like a sports school. So a lot of people, when they get to a certain age, maybe 15 in school, and they started, like, recognising they wanted to take rugby or, or something seriously, they would start to convert and leave their school and come to ours. So when we got to that age, a lot of these other teams we play playing finals were, like, full of Cardiff Blues players. And we had full of Ospreys players. So we were, like, you know, there was... um. It was basically like a mini region without, without the the name of it on on your jersey. So basically, just an academy clash, mate, isn't it, with a trophy yeah. on offer? Yeah. yeah. So did you ever get disheartened then, mate? When you you wasn't selected in the regional stuff, and then like you said, the size didn't come up. I know hindsight's nice; we can say that now, can't we? But yeah, oh, it definitely hurt. It definitely left uh, you know a bit of pill in me. I remember phoning the coach. And asking him, um, it would have been there, 15, 15 it would have been. And I said, mate, you know, I've made every district prior to this. What is it in particular this time? He said, oh, no, nothing, mate. You, you went well. Just, you know, you're just lacking that size. And that's something that frustrated the heck out of me. But it, I suppose for some people, they go left and some people go right. Yeah. And I used it and I was like training harder than ever. I remember getting my running shoes out and um, doing some hills and going road running and, and really putting it down. And then, you know, you'd, you I'd look at rugby league and I'd see like little Rob Burrow playing and I'm like, hang on, you know, and then prayers before that, like Jonathan Davis, when he played, like he wasn't a big player. So, you know, that was probably a real, like if I reflect on that transition, that made it easier. Like I remember sometimes going on, oh, I would like to stay at Union. But I had so much anger towards it that I went, nah, screw this, I'm going to go league way. And, and the doors were just opening. Like when I went league, 
um, I remember it like just playing like I felt I felt more more myself in that sport to be fair I felt like it could be free so we just yeah. started working then because growing up out from um, my behalf up here is definitely a class issue for kids so if your mum and dads don't do a certain job if they don't drive a certain car if you don't play for a certain club or go to a certain school, you're already 1-0 down, mate. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. how it felt. Yeah, I, I probably agree with that, John. But I, I'd say that, I think that the, like, the private and public school type of thing, it's not really big growing up in Wales, cause, probably because we're such a minority. Um, we didn't have that. But at the same time, like I definitely know what you're saying. Like If you played against Cardiff teams, they definitely have the, the flash cars and this, that and the other. Like, for me, mum works at Tesco's and dad was a mechanic, so there was no uh, flash car for me. It was literally rocking up in a little Mondeo or something like that, you know? We had the Cavalier, mate. Probably people, you probably can't remember the Cavalier and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember him, I remember him, mate. But yeah, it's, yeah. You know, I think it just builds character. And, and we, it was weird, maybe growing up, seeing those people rock up with like the flash kit and the new boots. And you, you actually grow an extra leg. You're like, I want to do you over today. So use that as motivation. I think growing up, I used a lot of that. Oh, so what was the, what was the plan leaving school, mate? Was rugby still a, a big focus here at this point and you were just going to subsidise it with like a college or a sixth form or did you want to go into the working world? Um, I actually remember it well. I remember we had this period at 15 or 16, maybe we, had, we could do work experience for like a week and my dad was like, look, you ain't going to go to uni. Um, you better go get a trade. And <laughs> he's like, I remember um, he goes, there's a brickie down the road uh, that does some work for our family once. He said, I'm going to ask him. And next thing you know, I was doing a bricklaying apprenticeship uh, from the age of 16 um, onwards. But it was a bit bit tricky because that was at the age where like rugby was really striving. Serious. Yeah, yeah, so it was kind of like, being on a trowel or, you know, mixing cement and then going to training in the night. And then, thank God, then at the age of 17, like these rhinos popped up because I didn't want to really be on the building site much more after that. It was the worst uh, initiation. He's a graft as well, isn't it? <laughs> and just the way they'd speak to us at that age. Like, I'm never, I've been shouted at, but it's a different different mentality with Bricky <laughs> shouting you on site. So, John, I was uh, scarred for life on that one. So, um, yeah. <laughs> So when when you were invited to the Crusaders, mate, how how did that come about? So that come about a, a school's final, did you say? Yeah, we played a school final, and then we had some trials after it, like open to everyone. And yeah. at the time, the head coach was John Dixon for the first team, and Anthony Siebel was his assistant. And Anthony Siebel's obviously done extremely well. And yeah. Kev Ellis, Kevin Ellis was kind of involved in the Crusaders at that stage and obviously seeing what we did at a younger age, we got trials and then I got selected to like the Celtic Crusaders under 16s and 18s and we were playing against like the National League One competition so every second weekend we were travelling up on a bus on a Sunday morning, playing a game, then coming back and then going back to college on Monday and that was kind of my journey into the sport. Um, obviously playing like the power gen and stuff like that in school, but like actually getting into the academy was, um, you know, that 16 year old. Yeah. And was it, was it 
So you you spoke about the transition before, but on a di- from a different perspective. How did you find the transition? Uh, just practically, mate, and like the intricacies are very different, Ollie, aren't they? Oh yeah, I remember just like even the fundamentals. Like we were literally when we were thirteen, we were literally playing union in a league game, you know, without yeah. just. And then when we got to sixteen, you know, understanding even the fundamentals of the six o'clock pass, tackle technique, grappling. Um, you know, holding in levers, head position on the floor, all of these things started to come in and um it was it was it was really like an eye opener because we literally didn't know we were literally just tacking like union going low and then um yeah we, we did we did like these training like these camps basically and understand like block plays and you know getting a three man and, and two man and, and, and you know what even down to like things are like calling things a scoot and just like really understanding the fact rabbit in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So John, it was like a it was a, it was different, but then I don't know, when you when you get on the field, I think when you could throw the ball around, you understand the two on one. You you like something about your brain just picks up and sees space and okay, well I'm gonna do a drop you know, pretend to do a drop off you or cut out the back or do a face ball or you know what I mean? So we could identify space, but for us, it was more about learning to get the places and why we get the spots on the field and who are we trying to actually dig into here and what's the purpose of it. That was the real learning. And then as a halfback, I was like, you know, that's where you've got your textbook out and understanding it. But um, it did take a while, though. It did take a while to click in those aspects. That's it, mate. Ideally, you want 13 in rugby union one-on-one, don't you? Where therefore in rugby league you want your three or four one on one principles the same just a little bit harder to get there sometimes isn't it and and stuff so mm-hmm. how did you find that standard Ollie at sixteen and eighteen obviously you were good enough to to step up wasn't you because it, it, we'll talk about it in a bit but was it was it a challenge enough to keep you interested mate considering where you've come from um. You know what? It was like it was a breath of fresh air, to be honest, John. Like from feeling how I felt at fifteen and being told that, and sixteen, this happened, and we were winning games. We were like we we, um, we won the national league, you know, conference league, whatever it was called. We won that, um, and we were like, even though the long traveling up to long travels up up north, we were um, it was winning. We, like it was built good fun. We were definitely fitter, like the more the amount of running we did back then. Like we weren't used to that amount of running, like fitness-wise or training. But no, I don't think it was a step backwards or losing interest. I I absolutely loved it. And like you said, you you got the tap on the shoulder, mate. So did it take much to consider going up to Leeds for the trial? And did you appreciate how big a club Leeds was? Um, I remember when it happened. It was just like we were playing against Sheffield Eagles. And we beat them, and I had a pretty good, well, I had a really good game. And I remember Barry McDermott and Bob Pickles at Leeds were there, and they, I think they approached me or they they called my parents, and they said, oh, look, we're really interested, and we'd love him to come up on a trial. And I was just like, this is unbelievable. Like, watching Leeds Rhinos win all of these competitions all the time, and Kev Sinfield was there, Jamie Peacock. Um, you know, Rob Burrow, Danny Maguire's were there, and I was just in awe. And I just kind of pinched myself. Thought, am I good enough? I remember that was a massive thing. Was like, am I good enough? 
am I going to go up there and, and am I going to be found out? Like, is this this big buzz of fun going to end soon? And then um, I remember I had a girlfriend at the time when we were young, and I was actually contemplating not doing it because of a girl. Thank God I didn't, uh, John, and uh, thank God I did it. But um, yeah, I remember my parents got absolutely mad with me because I was considering not doing it for her. But um, we did it. No. So they're all all new attributes for you to. It's enough to make someone drown in it, Ollie. Like it must have been a big challenge. Yeah, definitely. I remember in the team at the time we had, um, you know, the, the, the academy team when I went there with Stevie Ward there. We had uh, Liam Sutcliffe, uh, Brad Singleton, Liam Hood, Paul McShane, um, Zach Hardacre, Jimmy Kainos, um many others that have gone on to other clubs or played a couple of games, you know. And I remember just going there and these guys were just fit. I remember... We did a training training session up there. It was like literally just going through block plays and um, up and down the field. And it was a warm-up. I remember just blowing up my backside and going, what is this? And then they give me a, they give me a crack then. I think the following week, I can't, can't remember who it was. It was maybe Wigan. And I, did, I played played well, like reasonably well. Robbie Mohan was there as well. He was currently Lee. He was, he was there as well. Um, and, you know, it was a pretty amazing feeling just being like, wow, like this is like, you're wearing the Leeds Rhinos jersey. Like I'm I'm wearing the kit. I remember I was staying in uh, Bob Pickle's uh, attic of his, um, his flat, uh, his uh, bungalow, sorry, in, in Leeds. And um, I remember like, you know, just this whole thing of this 17 year old doing this. I think I might have been the first Welsh player at the stage to do this, you know, going into an academy. Yeah, so I was going to say, mate, like, I imagine you were probably one of the very few Welsh lads to go and give it a go. Yeah, I, I was, I think I was, I believe I was the first. I think there was one other Welsh guy, uh, Jack Pring, that came just after me, like maybe four or five months after me. Uh, but right. yeah, I think, I believe I was the first, uh, John, to do it. And then it, it just happened so fast. Like, it was like a blip that one, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. And it made me realize what is like professional and what is this standard of like, if you want to be at this level and play Super League one day, then this is where, you know, we're, we're all on this level here. Yeah. And that's some academy team as well, Ollie, just to slot into, by the way. Mm. Like you said, their names, you all mentioned, they've carved out a really good career, haven't they, mate? And probably grew up playing rugby league. Yeah, uh, definitely. It was, um, it was a great... I, I, like it was a great experience. I think probably the best thing about it was John was my blindness to those players. Like maybe growing up, if I was local lad, I would have been going, "Oh crap!" Like this Stevie Ward year, this Brad Singleton year. But I was just like, I didn't know who they were um, until we got on the field, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is a different you know cloth here, different ke- kettle of fish here." So, but what a great time! But same for opposition as well, mate. And that you wouldn't have gone, well, I know, like, for instance, Wigan Liam Farrow in the back row there, or a young back rower runs this way. I've got to try and falsify a dummy line here to get out the back. Do you know what I mean? You can play a blank canvas, mate. You can play what you what you can see, which is what we all dream of playing. Yeah. But there's just that law of destruction now, isn't there, mate? And where, especially when you're at that level you're talking about. Yeah, there was a lot of structure there. I remember just 
going into the team and we, they had like kind of army calls. I think that was because of Brian Mack's army background. So everything was Tango, Foxtrot, uh, Charlie, Delta. And I remember going up there like, <laughs> what the heck is all of these about? Just going in and, and I, I've always been a slow learner to work like, to, like um, calls. I know the call, but I would struggle to pick up the thing. So um, having the likes of, you know, Liam Hood there, Paul McShane, um, even sometimes in the house with Stevie Ward, it definitely simplified it. And um, I was very much eyes up type of player then. So I just watched what was in front of me. And I don't know if you remember back then, John, you could have like five over age players from the first team drop down. Yeah. So we used to have like, you know, well, Iraqi come back. I think once we had Kylie Luluai after an injury, we had um, Richard Moore come back. Um, who was the other guy? Uh, there was loads of loads of people from the stages that come back, you know. But you yeah, don't want to see them off the dead ball line coming down your <laughs> channel, mate, do you? <laughs> I remember this one time, mate. We had Brad Singleton was coming back. You know, he Brad Singleton was playing with us. He's my age, and yeah, um, Stuart Fielden was playing for Wigan, and he ran off the back fence, and Brad absolutely cleaned him up like an ad. Like Ken, um, Fielden was a, a grown ass man then, you know what I mean? And, and Brad was just a kid, and I thought, wow, like. This is different, like totally different, yeah. but unbelievable times. Yeah. So, how how did the chat from a trial to a contract come about, mate? And was it was it an easy decision for you? Oh, it was. Yeah, I remember Brian Mac, uh, Brian Barry McDermott took me into a room after the after like two months, three months, and he just said, "Look, man, we want to extend it." We see a lot of potential in you. Um, and this is my first ever time. Like I've had, or not my first ever time. Like this was the first time I've been in a room and proper like sat there and tried to negotiate. Um, I, I know I, I, my the team, the other guy who was looking after me said, you need to get an agent. Probably didn't need an agent, uh, but he thought for my young naivety, he'd like to help. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a no, no brainer to sign another contract and um, get off the trials like, I was happy just there, you know, my, my digs was covered from Leeds and wasn't making much money, but, you know, it wasn't about the money then. It was literally the opportunity. The opportunity. Yeah, I love that, mate. That's what it's about, isn't it? Any standout moments then from, from like, was that a bit of reserve then, Ollie? Was you playing reserves? Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the standout moments back then, John? Probably, I think it was just, Beating teams like Wigan, beating teams like Warrington and um, yeah. St. Helens, well, beating St. Helens. And I remember we beat St. Helens at home and Headley, we were always the curtain raiser for, uh, you know, the first team. And like Headley would get packed out. So by, you know, half time, the crowd's packed and yeah. you're just running onto a field against St. Helens and, and beating them. And, you know, whether it was scoring a try or getting a man of the match, that was probably one of the best things. We used to get, if you get man of the match, you'd get like the butchers would give you like a this big tray of meat. Yeah, so like a hamper. Yeah, mate. So we, um, yeah. that was the best thing ever. I think I think the old fellow I was living with was cheering too because he, he didn't have to buy food for the for the couple of weeks then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when when you, you, you play in, mate, and like, was there ever a time when you did feel like this is my level? You know where you said you, you were questioning yourself before you went for your trial. Did you did you settle enough to think you were good enough there? Um, 
I think, I think I, I was kind of like, I never thought that I was the best. I always thought I was just a hardworking guy. And if I just continued to be hardworking, I would, opportunities would come. I remember like before training, so we, I'd have a day job on a on Leeds Arena, being a labourer there, and I'd go to training. But it got a stage where I was just leaving work super early or not going, and I would literally get to training early, get a bag of balls, and just start goal kicking before training on my own, just to show that I'm here to. I, I want this really bad, you know. Messing about, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, no, I probably probably you know probably a bit of self doubt at Leeds. And I don't think you'd ever think you were good enough. You'd look at the first team and go, like, there's levels to this. Um, I remember we had one training session against the first team. And I remember Cal Watkins was opposite me. And he absolutely skittled me with footwork. And I thought, yeah, like, I've still got a long way to go. But as long as I keep turning up, keep moving hard, um, something will come from this. I always got complimented by the coach and staff for my hard work. And, you know, when you've got likes of people like Barry, Barry McDermott, recognizing you and telling you you're doing well with what he's achieved in the game or Ryan Mack grabbing you aside and pulling you aside and telling you, you know, keep doing this or tipping you on this, that and the other. It was a nice feeling, but it, I never got complacent there. Never. Well, it's like probably underplaying your ability, but if if you've got all the talent and don't work hard, mate, the fellow working harder than you'll get picked, won't they? Whether he's got as much talent as you or not. So have you had the right mindset, mate, didn't you, and the right attitude. You give it your best shot. That's all you can ever ask for. Put your best yeah, foot forward. Yeah. yeah. So what what come on the back of Leeds, mate? Um, well, how how it worked was so that last year was the the year that they went from reserve team to under nineteens. Um, but like a couple of weeks before this, there was rumours. And I got offered a contract um by to do another year. It was like peanuts, but it was like full-time, you'll play reserve team. And I was like, wow, amazing. But I was like, the offer was not like, like it was very poor, but it was more like, the, it's prestigious. Um, and I remember saying to Barry, Barry McDermott in the, in the second, like second negotiating of the second contract, I said, look, man, we got Wakefield on the weekend. I'm going to prove to you I'm worth more than that. Yeah. And um, he said, oh, okay. And then I remember played that weekend and I did my ACL. <laughs> and, um, and he went, oh, I remember then the, the reserve grade thing went out the window and it was under 19s and it was just like that contract went. And so for me, it was rehabbing the ACL. Um, go, I went home. I think I played one preseason game for the Scorpions and then I had an offer come through the door of um, Ipswich Jets in Queensland in Australia. Yeah. And I was always wanted to go to Australia. Always wanted to do it, and that that was my opportunity. So I took that opportunity, and then um, yeah, went there at nineteen years old. Right. So pre ACL injury, mate, how would you been with injuries or niggles? Pre it, I was good. Um, yeah. yeah, no major issues. You know, you'd get the odd, you know, like niggles, but nothing major. You know, very blessed before that knee injury. Um, no serious injuries. Right. And then when, when the ACL happened, you, did you know it was serious as well, mate? Oh, I remember we, literally I kicked the ball through against Wakefield and grubbing it through. And as I ran through the chase, 
the fullback picked the ball up and as he just, he just stepped and as I tried to go for him, I just remember hearing this pop noise in my knee. And I was, it was like an you know absolutely killing pain. Hit the deck and I, I was like, I couldn't. My, that was probably the worst ever feeling ever. And then I remember getting carried off and then, um, yeah, it was, that was the process then of like, yeah, I, I didn't probably knew. I don't think it was like depression or anything at that stage. I didn't know what it was, but I just was very sad about like yeah. everything was going well. I was playing good and these this contract came and there was a rumour that Wigan were interested in me and then this happened and then, yeah, that's just part and parcel of it. No, it is. And at least you've got the mind the mindset again to, to understand that, mate. I mean, yeah, through harsh reality a little bit as well, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Yeah, but at least you understand that. So, how did you find the rehab, mate? Was it all done on your own through the NHS and stuff? Um, so Leeds covered it, uh, but they did it back in Wales. So I I did the surgery in Wales and I did the rehab there, um, and it was kind of like yeah, just did it with a physio down here. But I was so young, John, that yeah. I came back too early. I think I came back after six months of a knee reconstruction at. Like, which is so really realistic, you should be coming back nine to 12 months, but just being eager and probably not having like a club or a team be like, hey, stop rushing it, you're, you're a kid. Um, and I was just eager to get back. And then, yeah, I like my goal then was just go over to the Scorpions, played, did a bit of preseason there. My intention was never to be there long, but it was more about being back in a, in a team environment to get it right, to play a trial game, and then go from there and then yeah the Australian opportunity came then so right so how does that come about mate who, who did they reach out to to get to you sort of thing so we had at the time the Scorpions we had three Australians in the team um, and I always said to them man I'd love to go to Australia and he said I'll tell you what I've got a contact over there which might help and he reached out to Steve Johnson the chairman at Ipswich Jets and he sent I sent over my highlights reel of, of playing for Leeds um, within like a week, contract came through, open return flights, and yeah, I was like, let's do this, let's do this. And no fear at, at 19 years old, John, is this? So I just did it. <laughs> Brilliant. At least you didn't have to get in someone's bag, mate. You could just walk in there <laughs> off your own back, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're not, you're obviously not scared of a challenge. Oh, yeah, I hear it. There's one thing going to Leeds, mate. It's another yeah. thing going to the other side of the world, isn't it? So how was it? Oh, it was it was tough. I especially the first three to five months, three to six months maybe were tough. I was homesick. Sick. The mad thing about it was uh, my that one game I played for the Scorpions and we played Oldham and the winger Mo, who was actually with me at um, Leeds, he tackled me and landed on my ankle and I this I not I did something really bad to my ankle and I I thought nothing of it. Rehabbed it and got on the plane over there. And I actually couldn't play for the first two months because my ankle was no good. And then I found out I needed to have, um, I got it jabbed and I was playing, I played a couple of games to finish off that season. And then I had to have a, a ankle surgery at the end of that season. So um, it was a pretty tough transition, but it was, it was amazing at the same time. Like the, the environment was there, like the, the Jets were connected to the Broncos um, ben and Ben and Shane Walker were our coaches. So Ben played for Leeds Rhinos for a bit, and they played for Manly. Um, his brother and him played for the the Rabbitohs together. So 
Um, Ben's son is Sam Walker, who plays with the Roosters now. Yeah. So it was a great environment, and they they treated me as their own. You know, they I stayed at their house for three months at the start, and um, yeah, what an experience as in. It was daunting. I think it was because of my injury, but apart yeah. from that, like doing that over there and just realizing, John, that like the the standard and the the conveyor belt of quality there, it's it's no shortage. Like the style of play, everything. I, it was just like you'd look at one player, especially like the the indigenous guys or the Aboriginals. They'd have these skinny legs. They'd have a little bit of a belly. One or two of them would, and you'd be thinking. Um, these guys are not good enough. And then as soon as you put a ball in their hand, John, it was just like they were, it was in their DNA. Like, you know, the likes of yeah. Manny Bowen, those type of players, you know what I mean? Like, they just don't look yeah. much, but when they look the yeah. yeah. So it's an unbelievable like experience. Come out the womb with a ball in it, mate. That's what it's like, isn't it? Honestly, I cannot, I can't put it into words. Like, you'd see them down the park, no shoes on, playing in the streets, you know, and, and it's just like, this is, you can see why Australia and the NRL is such a good standard. And yeah. um, there's this thing in Australia called like the, the Murray comp and you've got the Curry comp. So they're the indigenous of South New South Wales and Queensland. And you could go to that competition and you'd be in awe of what you'd see. And that's just local, you know, town. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So for viewers and listeners that might not know, mate, it's probably got a bit more popular because Adol Car word and Trell played and Coldy didn't he? And obviously he had a bit of he had a few issues with a few of the local boys, didn't he? But no, it. I remember when I went, I went Sydney, mate, with a friend, and we were walking into the city centre from Woolloomooloo, and there's a bit of a park to the right before you get to like Westfield Centre, and that, yeah. and it was just tag all through the park, and like you said, some of them didn't even have trainers on, and some of the yeah. finishes and the passing ability and that it's yeah. and it's lightning fast. You could probably play it a bit. I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'd avoid playing. I think I used to be like, I'd save myself. But that's one thing I wish we brought over to the UK is is that touch rugby or tag, like properly the way they do it. Like the fundamentals, the skill sets, the the people who are high-end NRL players now all grew up playing touch touch footy. And then... Yeah. 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 It's pretty amazing. Was it everything you wanted it to be then, mate? It certainly sounds that way. Uh, yeah, I just, at the stage, I remember, like, the, the chat was, like, I was trying to get into the Broncos and the 20s team because I was still young enough to do it. Um, but I had that ankle injury. So that was, like, I was gunning for that. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. I learned a lot as well. Just learned a lot about myself at this stage. I'm 19 in Australia. Um very naive, but just beautiful people there. Beautiful people just looked after you as well. No need for that Gavin Ensign fate tanning us, mate, is there? <laughs> no, was, uh, I was actually, I remember I was getting in trouble all the time because I'd forget to put sun cream on and I'd be like this yeah. route. But um, yeah, it was it was good times. Really good times, John. So, so how old was you when playing for Wales come about, mate? Um, I was 17. Uh, 17 or 18, just signed with Leeds and I was like, in that trial period. Seeing your setup as well. Yeah, yeah. So oh, yes, yeah. Harris was the coach. Lee Breers was assistant. Um and Damien Gibbon Gibson was the other assistant. And it was kind of like they were giving youngsters a crack with the, the older heads. Like these academy boys at the time, Rodri Lloyd was at Wigan, I was at Leeds. 
Um, I think Ben and Reese were injured, so they weren't available. But yeah, it was like this moment of that was a crazy one. I remember we had uh, Thomas Bosch against me. Yeah, that was a crazy one. And uh, we had Danny Ward. Uh, yeah, Danny Jones. Sorry, Danny Jones, who passed away from Keithley in the halves with me. Um, great player. Just, uh, just an unbelievable experience, you know. And Craig Kopchak, um, Jordan James, uh, Michael Channing. There's loads of names in that team, and I just remember thinking, like, wow, I'm playing for my country at this age. Two years ago, I was getting told I was too small to play rugby union, and this is this is all happening, John. Was there a nice redemption that, mate? Did it? I know you've not turned around and put the middle finger up, but oh. I bet you felt like it, didn't you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it, you got to remember as well, like. Um, it's so backwards down here, like at that stage, league was like, oh, we don't want to talk about that sport down in South Wales. It was very union dominated. I remember even young when I was young, in the newspapers, you know, you'd have to change your name. If you scored a try, you change your name playing league to union because they would like to be disgusted if you played it. So we used to hide it. So like for me, doing all of this was like um, proving people wrong. I think you need... If you I, that was definitely the core behind all of this, John. Yeah, you think your area would be mega proud when, like, you've said how many years have come through mm. and done really good things, not just for your area, mate, but mm. for your country. Yeah, why would that not be like big, bold capital letters everywhere? And but I understand it's it was it's that divide, isn't it? It's just old school, John. Like, yeah. even my rugby union team, um. It sounds bitter now, but they've never asked for a, a jersey or a photo in the club. And I'm thinking... Oh, go you know, back and have a chat with the lads or nothing, no. Not, no never, junior teams or anything. No junior team, like like on my rugby union team growing up, like there's no photo of me in the club, but it's full of photos of people my age who have played regionals and stuff in the union space. So it's very small-minded at times. Bizarre, yeah, it is strange. Yeah. Even now, though, in it, even now, like, we're, we're going to talk through what you've been through and that, aren't we? And what a lesson that could be just to one kid. Yeah. That you go down and speak to. 100%, John. Yeah. It was um, very big, yeah. So the move to Swinton, yeah. it was that was that next, mate, after it switched jets? No, no. So I was in no. Australia for 11 years. So I recently, I only came oh, back. Wow. Um, only came back last last November. I came back for the World Cup, but prior to that, eleven years in Australia. So I played for Ipswich Jets, went to South Logan Magpies, which are yeah. all in Queensland Cup, and then I I finished up at East Tigers. So um, East Tigers was a pretty prolific team then because they were feeder they were a feeder team to uh, Melbourne Storm. So we had yeah. at stages we had Christian Welsh. Brody Croft was in the halves with me. We had Billy Walters, a hooker. Uh, Scott Drinkwater was our fullback. Uh, Brandon Smith was a hooker. So I remember after two ACLs, um, and like at that stage, I thought my, my days are numbered of trying to make it. Um, I remember I, I rang up the coast coach at East Tigers, which are called Brisbane Tigers now. And I right. said, look, man, I'm not looking here for a big contract. I just want an opportunity. And this was after like, you know, two ACLs, um, two ankle surgeries and other minus issues. And I remember he said, look, man, come for a trial. I was like, that's all I need at this stage. I was 24, 25, no, 24. He said, that's all I need. 
I remember doing the preseason and I was probably the fittest I've ever been um, after everything. I was like, I am flying right now. And I think after round four, I made the first team. And you, I remember we, you know, you're looking left and right and there's state of origin players in this team. There's a Kiwi yeah. international. There's a man of steel, Brody Croft in the team, not at that stage, but he was touted at Melbourne Storm that he was the next Cooper Cronk. It um, was, mate. There was big, big raps about him, weren't there? Yeah, so for me, like, that was my journey. And um, I, I wish I played more games because of injuries, but because of injuries. But at the same time, man, I'm, I'm very blessed to be able to say that I've you know, played with some of these players and played against other NRL players right now. I remember even Tino Faustumali, who's in the Gold Coast Titans captain, was our lock. Yeah. Um, so yeah, pretty amazing team. So the so the next ACL same knee or off a different same all, knee? All on the same knee. Yeah. So I I did my my set my my first one was at these rhinos. My second one was uh, at South Logan Magpies, and then the third one was at East Tigers, which called Brisbane Tigers. Then so that was my you last one. You done it three times. Three on the right knee, yeah. Three ACLs. Yeah, that's resilience, that mate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It, it was tough, John. I'll be honest, mate. Like it was, um, like I'm sure we'll get into it in a minute. But it, it was yeah. my darkest days were definitely throughout those second and third ACL. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so we chatted Wales. Then so you brought through quite early, mate, didn't you? And did it become? Did you ever think like it was a given? Did you take Wales for granted or did you know you had to be playing well to play for Wales? No, it was always, I had to play well. Um, like, <clears throat> at that stage, um, you know, Libri has just retired. Um, Lloyd White was the, one of the halfbacks and the other halfback, I'm trying to, trying to think who it was at that stage, was Webster. Is it Ian Webster? He's, yeah. Um, yeah, he was the other halfback and after France and then I did that season then with Leeds and I did my ACL so I, I missed out on that World Cup which was due um, in the UK and yeah. then the second one was in Australia I I missed out on that one due to another ACL and I was gutted mate like shattered like I get a couple games I won a European Championship of Wales in between those periods but then I was like I want to play in the World Cup and yeah. then I thought I'm never going to get this. And then having those four years off from, so from um, East Tigers after the third ACL, I said, I'm, I'm done. I'm absolutely done. I'm not going to play this anymore. And then um, my brother, not, yeah, my last year in July, my brother was playing and I was just doing triathlons by this stage, John. I've gone into doing triathlons yeah. and doing other just things. Just another and, challenge. Yeah, mate, yeah, just got yeah, into yeah. other aspects. I wanted to, it was a journey of finding myself and kind of who am I without this identity. And my brother yeah. said, look, man, do you, to, do you want to come play a couple games? We're, we're, we're near the, the fight, like semis and quarters of the comp. Do you want to have a game? And I was like, no. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, come on, just have a couple games. And I said, you know what, after nagging me for ages, um, I played. And then I played for a team called um, Bally's. Um, Bally Diehards and a former team of Wally Lewis so it was a, a pretty prestigious team but they were a league below the Queensland Cup it was still a good standard right. and yeah. um, started playing there 
enjoyed the first game. Uh, like it was, I felt like it was just fun again. It was like a that itch was there. Um, and then played the rest of that season. And I remember coming to the end of the season, the team manager of Wales rang me and he said, hey, look, we've seen on YouTube live streams you're playing again. Looks like you're doing well. Uh, would you be open to being in the Welsh squad before we cut it down? And I said, no, I don't want to be involved. And he goes, look, I understand what you've been through. Have a think about it. And I think we played the, the quarters or semi-finals then. And we played, yeah, we played the quarters and we won. So you know what? Just tell him. Look, put my name in the hat. But if I don't get selected, I don't get selected. And um, yeah. basically, yeah, I got selected then for the World Cup, and I played in the most recent one in the UK in twenty twenty two. Yeah. So was it like a nice way to finish? Yeah. I I absolutely out of all the coaches I've had, I absolutely love John Keir. John Keir's. Um, you know what he's done, and if you ever want a motivational speaker, get John Keir. Um, the way he did the World Cup really made me proud to be Welsh. Um, before games, you know, we get speakers in, or we get one. Get we'd have video footage of our country and understanding what what our country did. Like you know, the people before us who made Wales a rugby league team and made us really proud to be Welsh. And I, I don't know if you noticed in the World Cup, but like. Playing against Tonga, playing against um, Cook Islands, you know, we really give it to them. Um, and I think that was really down to John's speeches. And I remember the Papua New Guinea game, he did a video with our parents saying how proud they were for us to play for Wales. And um, I don't think there was a dry eye in the room before the PNG game. And yeah, it was it was amazing. Like it was it was so much more than just playing that World Cup. It was it was the the whole duration of the surgeries, the injuries, the depression, the, 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 you know, the being in a hospital bed thinking, is this my life over mentality? And um, yeah, it was definitely a nice way to, to ride it out. I was going to say, mate, it, everything probably felt a little bit worthwhile, even then shitty bits. Yeah. Didn't they? Just when you're pulling, like, you sat, I imagine when you're walking and you see like six on the back of a well stop and knowing you're starting. And you, you must just look and think, wow. Mm. You must get flashbacks and that, mate, because cause it's all part of why you're there. And it, it is it is your rugby story. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, re reflecting back on it, because um, I knew, that, you know, this isn't going to happen again. I remember just sitting there in the change room at the end of the game or, you know, in training and just really enjoying every moment, you know, really having fun but training hard and buying into everything and um yeah I, I just think you know the players that have been there with me and ben and reefs like you know we, we were 13 year olds 14 year olds together playing in, in brintig in wales and and here we are now in the welsh squad all together finally um you know not many people can say they played with two of their mates that they were in class with in maths at grade eight and now in the world cup together yeah, no, it's special, mate, and it's what sport can do, isn't it? Yeah, prior to that, yeah, it's changed my life. Sports definitely changed my life, John, and it's um, I wouldn't be who I am today without it. Simple as that. Yeah, ah, I love that, mate. So, in in that big in that big space, then, mate, when rugby was no longer the end goal of a training method or a prep or a, a match day, because there's a lot of 
sacrificed it. Fans are sort of getting to see a little bit more now, but don't fully understand that the Ollie hits. They look like you've gone halfway across the world to make a name for yourself again after mm. being told you're too small or you've ruptured your knee completely. So what what happens to Ollie Olds in that in that gap between last playing and having a little run out with your brother because he's married you to death? <laughs> yeah. Um so in that four year gap, um Probably, so I had, so this is the third knee reconstruction and the surgeon said to me, look, because this is your third knee reconstruction, I'll, you've got basically two pre-existing holes in the bottom, like your tibia and fibia, and then you've got two going up to the top of your knee, with a knee into your femur. And he said, basically, if we drill into another hole in there now, which is going to make it three, it's going to make it weak, pretty, pretty much like a timber. If you drill into a timber, you start to get cracks. So he said, what we're going to have to do um, we're going to have to break your patella, use that, fill in the holes like a filling, wait six months, and then you can do your, your next reconstruction. And on top of that, what he identified was, John, that my tibia and fibula bone was on a 13-degree angle. So right. he realized, because it was on an angle, and how I did my last knee reconstruction wasn't stepping, it wasn't anything. I was literally running back towards the line 10 meters, and as I turned, just felt my knee give. So it was nothing... Yeah. He realized because of the, the angle of it, John, that he um, they needed to straighten it out. So what they actually did was they broke my tib and fib bone, straightened it out, cut a wedge in it and put a metal strip on it. And right. so this was like an 18-month recovery um, for, yeah. to, to get back fit again. But because he had to break the bone, I remember it. Um, I was in the hospital bed. They said, you're going to have to stay in for five days uh, because of how much has happened in your knee right now. Um, you know, they had a nerve block in my thigh to numb the leg. And I remember it was like a day or two there. Um, I had friends come through. And then I remember it was like three days then of just being on my own with my thoughts. And I remember like, it was just really tough. And I remember it wasn't essentially, John, like I, I'm, I've got a plan. I'm going to end my life. It was more, yeah. um, I don't want to be here anymore like this. And over the time prior to that, it was like, you know, the second one before that, you know, is this anxiety of getting this tight feeling in my chest, overthinking, who am I without this? I remember every time I got injured, I really lost who I was and I lost my way. I wasn't a big drinker, but I definitely turned to the party life um, the third yeah. time around to kind of did, like fix this feeling I was getting of who I was and get this temporary fix. And um, basically from then, I knew, you know, I pushed so many people away from me that I knew that I needed to make a change. And once I accepted, probably accepted after the third knee reconstruction, probably like a couple months after I realized that I'm done, I'm done playing. Um, all, all I want to do then was just get my knee right, get fixed, um, but actually try and figure out who I was. What is Ollie Olds without rugby league? You know, yeah. what career do I want to go down? Um, you know, and then I really started to, to surround myself with the right people. It took a while surround myself with the right people and people who want to see you do better, people who believe in you, put confidence in you. And and the hardest part was, John, was a lot of people experience it when you retire, but you're in this band of brotherhood when you're in this environment, right? You're in every WhatsApp group, you're in every message of the socials of this is what's happening rugby. And when you leave the rugby circle, those messages slowly drift away. And it's a really 
hard pill to swallow because you realize you're like, wow, I'm on my own now. And yeah, that was kind of like the stage for me. Then I started just finding who I was in that period. I, I met, I had, a, I met some amazing people in particular, this one guy who just was there, supported me, guided me and um, believed in me. And that's all it takes sometimes is just having one person when you're in that dark hole, believing you, he's not going to get you out the hole, but just having someone to believe in you that, that you can get out of this is what you need sometimes. And I definitely had this guy and his name is Russell Harper. Um, and he, yeah, he changed my life. And from that, then I, I realized that when you go through something, I believe that you need to be able to help others go through things, then give people a sense of purpose, a belonging um, community, and giving someone structure and accountability in their life, these are things that can change your life and which changed my life. And um, yeah, I'm very passionate about that now is helping people get that clarity back in their life, get that meaning again. So that's that, that that's a short form of it anyway, John. No, but I bet it's real rewarding, mate. And thanks for your honesty in that. It can't, can't necessarily be easy. You know, you probably had a little bit of practice of encouraging yourself to do it and, and speak mm-hmm. because... You sometimes you've got to walk the walk as well, Ollie, when you're getting clients and that, haven't you? They've got to understand you. Not only do you know it mentally through textbook or other experience, but through your own. Because sometimes, mate, people need to see you walk the walk, don't they? Yeah. So thanks yeah. for that. Appreciate that, mate. I uh, appreciate that, John. I definitely, I think, you know, it's like, how can I give advice to someone if I've never experienced those things, that, that lack of purpose, clarity and, having meaning or waking up and struggling to get out of the bed in the morning. How can I feel your pain and show empathy towards you if I never felt that, but I felt every part of that. And it's like, well, trust me, man, you do X, Y, and Z, there's light at the end of the tunnel for you, you know? So, um, and that's my, I believe that's my purpose right now is, is giving people that meaning and transforming their, their personal life or that's their business or their, you know, just having more meaning in life. That's, that's my calling right now. Right, so I know where to find you, mate, because I've managed it enough. <laughs> but for people, if they're stuck in that rut or they think they need a bit of guidance, where can they find you, Ollie? Um, I have a website, ollieolds.com. Um, pod, uh, I have a, the podcast, Walkers Only Podcast, or um, or at ollie.olds um, on Instagram. You can find me. But, yeah, man, I'm sure if you just type my name into something, they'll pop up. But, yeah, um, there's plenty of options. Oh, class, mate. And... So when when you come back and had a run out at home, mate, for Swinton, how did chat? How did that chat come about? Did it take much persuading, and and how did it go? Um, yeah, like it, 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 I was umming and ahhing because I thought the World Cup's going to be me done. Ticked a massive box off, and my business was, you know, was, was thriving at this stage. And but there was always a stage of me, John. It was like I've been away from the UK from the age of nineteen to 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 thirty, twenty nine. And we had Rodri Lloyd in the team and we had Mike Butt in the Welsh team. Gav Bennion was there. Um, Yeah, and they basically, Rod was like, look, why why don't you do a season? What, you know, you've still got something to offer. Why don't you do a season? And I thought, I've always wanted to try and play over here, like championship or or make Super League, obviously. Um, I thought, why not? This is going to be my last hurrah. Let's do it. And then um, the coach at the time, Alan Coleman, who's now at Widnes, he we spoke back and forth, and yeah, it was pretty straightforward from there. Um, so yeah, lived up in lived in Standish for for the most of that time, mate. And um, yeah, it was good times. 
Oh, good mate. And nice to be able to finish on your terms as well, rather than an injury in that alley. <laughs> to be fair, mate, I'll be honest with you. Um, I I had a I picked up a groin injury which was hindering me the whole season, so I didn't play as much as I should have, but I played. Um, but yeah. I'll be honest with you, I was I was at peace. I was at peace with everything because from that kid of fifteen who got that 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 issue of being too small and you know I always feeling like I had something to prove my whole life. You realize the the only person you need to prove to is is myself, and I was very comfortable with myself at this stage of. You know, not many people can come back from one ACL or two ACLs, but three ACLs and then still play and play in the World Cup against Tonga, Cook Islands and Papua New Guinea and play in the championship. You know, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel like I've been blessed, man. So, like, from my perspective to do that, it might not have been a grand final or it might not have been a Challenge Cup, but... Um, it was your grand final, mate, wasn't it? Yeah, I was, yeah. I was happy with that. I'm, I'm grateful for everything that's happened. Yeah, it's nice that it, it's... No, you had a niggle. It's nice to wear a, a, a happy ending, isn't it? It's like you managed everything you've been through. You still managed to go out on your on your own terms, which must be lovely for you and the family as well. Because unfortunately for you and them, you couldn't be near each other for for two of them major injuries and probably yeah. two shitty parts of your life for nine to twelve months, mate. Yeah, definitely. Just um. You know, like, I don't know, most, most parents, you know, if you, you're telling them we've had these injuries and you tell them how you're feeling, you know, it's not much they can do over a phone. Um, but there was probably a lot of, I've given my parents probably a couple of grey hairs, mate. Um, but uh, <laughs> that and just then coming back here and, you know, seeing my mum's face and playing for Wales and, you know, giving her one of my jerseys. And, you know, you just remember just mum and dad taking you to training as a seven-year-old. Um, and then as a as a you know driving every second week up to Leeds to watch me play from Wales, devoting the yeah. weekend to me and you know, it's it's far bigger than me. It's it's about everyone that's devoted part of their life for me. So I'm that was for them. Brilliant, mate. And uh, memorabilia wise, are you someone that used to keep all the stuff, mate? Because I'm quite sentimental. I would have. Um, believe it or not, um, I give all of my kit away. Um, I might regret it one day. Uh, there was a woman, it was an amazing woman at Swinton that was the gate woman for us to park in there. And she was a very selfless woman and she probably wouldn't get paid for doing what she did. So end of the season, she had my training kit. Um, my jerseys went to my sponsor. Mum's um, got my Welsh kit. And there's a barber shop in Wales who's got one of my jerseys. Um, I got a Felice Kafusi top from the Tonga game. So if you want that, mate, you can have that off me, John. But, um, no, I wouldn't take it off you, mate. I'm just saying I am quite sentimental. I'd have, I'd have been stingy. Yeah, I don't know, mate. I, I think being on the field was a memorable moment. The only one I kept, I think, was the I've kept two of my Welsh jerseys, my first one. I'll tell you a story before we have to we have to wrap it up, John. But yeah, yeah. Um, when I played for France um, and I went back then to Leeds, train, Leeds Rhinos, and one weekend I came home. And I looked at my Welsh jersey was on the line. And I came home to my parents' house in Wales. I said, Mum, why is my Welsh jersey on the line? She goes, oh, um, Elliot, your younger brother, wore it rugby training the other day. <laughs> if he did, if he did, he got a good beating off me, mate, of the of seeing that jersey on the line that was recently played against France. I obviously wanted to show it off. But 
you don't do those things. But yeah, most of my kids with family, you know, grandparents yeah. and stuff like that. Well, yeah, like you said, the, the pitch was the memory for you, mate, wasn't it? And if they can share the memory by a pair of shorts, a top, or a program, it's it's a nice touch. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. I think the, there's so many people who are volunteers at games that are so selfless. They deserve the kit sometimes because yeah. of what their actions are. So I, you know, that's a sense of purpose to them. Is weekend watching their local team and. You know, buying buying a pie or a beer or a drink at a game and supporting like those are the people who deserve it more than anyone. Yeah, was that Airwood Road that then, mate? Airwood Road, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, so Sale FC's ground as well. Yeah, I hope you didn't um, park behind the post, mate. Did you? <laughs> no, we behind the stand, thank God, because um, yeah, the posh know, end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the posh end, mate. <laughs> Right, mate. So, uh, three daft questions for you, if that, that's all right. Yes. So, what were you like with pre-match superstitions? Pre-match superstitions. Um, I didn't have. I didn't have many. I just knew. Um, this is maybe a Gavin Henson thing, but I used to shake my legs before a game. That was the only thing I would do, mate. Yeah, especially in <laughs> Australia, not over here, but when I was younger, I used to shave the legs before a game. Yeah. Isn't it mad, like, the impact, like, people can have on people? Do you know what, like, the Wilkinson stance and Dan Bigger soon took over that sort of thing, didn't they? And Gav's, like, spiky hair, tan, and, yeah, smooth legs. Nah, I like it, mate. So, uh, the, the next words, like, different for everybody, mate. The meaning can, can mean various things to various people, but the toughest player you've played with, with and played against Toughest player I played with. There was a guy for Ipswich Jets. His name was Kieran Lander. He wasn't the biggest of names, but he had the the, the biggest of hearts. And he played he played for the Reds in rugby union, and then he came over to Ipswich. and And I think he might have had one game for the Broncos. One of the toughest guys, just put his body in places that you would never dare. Um, he was so tough. He he's got to be up there. Um, and the player I played against, who was Tough. Probably one of them Tongans. Um, probably um, uh, what's his name? A sofa. Uh, the prop we played. Not Solomon. The other one. He played for the Warriors. The prop for them, and he played for Tonga. Is it a sofa? Anyway, did you have to feel him, did you? <laughs> yeah, he, he did my AC joint against Tonga at the end. Did he whacked me at the end. Um, I'm trying to think of his name. He, he'll come to me. Um, but yeah, he's um, yeah, he was a tough guy. Prop prop for the Warriors and Tonga. That guy, he'll come to me. Uh, sorry to go slightly off, but do you know when you said the, uh, the first lad was a convert over there? Did you see much of that? Um, because you, because with you knowing both chords, Ollie, you'll know certain traits that suit like one or the other game, won't you? Yeah. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't loads. There was a couple, but the thing is, right? It's very union is very private school, and league is very public over there, and and the separation in the two is like crazy. So you wouldn't have many union boys come over, but. 
I think he was a, a league guy that got an opportunity to go to the Reds and then come back. Um, yeah. you know, there's not many Brad Thorns that did the whole thing, but yeah, he, he was a he was a warrior. Cuban Adam was. Right, mate. So your favourite away ground that you've played at? Favourite away ground? Yeah. Um. Um, it's got to probably St. Helens. Yeah. Be the, the new, do you like the newer style grounds, are we? No, I like the old school, mate. I like the old. Yeah. And another one, which was a great one to be at just because of the abuse, was Cass Tigers. Cass yeah, Tigers. Yeah. yeah, mate, that, that was a good one when I was younger, especially when you beat them. So it was a, you'd get some old woman giving you some some shit in the stand, which was good times. Yeah. Well, it's a derby for you as well, or like, yeah. probably without you knowing it, wasn't it? Mm. So if you could go back, mate, and, and have a chat with the younger Ollie, what would you tell yourself? Don't sweat the small stuff. Probably just say that. Don't sweat the small stuff. Just um, just keep work. Like yeah, just like keep doing what you're doing. Don't worry about anything else. Just stay stay in your own lane. I think sometimes when we'd have people come back from NRL teams. Um, you start sweating, you know. You start worrying. The crap, am I gonna, am I, you know, am I not gonna play anymore or this, that, and the other? Really, I just wish I just did what I did best, and I was just expressing myself at times. Like <clears throat> probably that, probably that would be to just yeah, stay in your lane and focus on you. Right, mate. And if you're out and you've had a few, and the microphone ends up in your hand, mate, what are you gonna give us on karaoke? I think. Um, I'd say Uncle Cracker, um, what's his name? Uncle Cracker, follow me. Are you there? Oh, I'm not going to sing it on you, but that would be probably that or um, probably one of the Oasis songs. I'm not going to say yeah. Wonder Waters. I've heard it so many times that I can't go there anymore. But um, so what the people can join in with, like, yeah, you've got to get one that within like. 10 words they're already starting to sing along to you know the those type of songs because you ain't doing it um you ain't doing it so i remember swinton this year i i did a biggie small song i rapped it and i realized no one was jumping in on a biggie small song <laughs> <laughs> that's a good effort that long yeah. Right <laughs> yeah the dice roll was out and i got to do that all right okay we'll, we'll leave that word it is eh? <laughs> yeah some dangerous ones on that dice roll Jeez. Yeah. Well, that, that's the thing, like you mentioned, the camaraderie and that that you potentially miss when you walk away from the game. Mm. It, it's them, you mentioned the bus journeys and that, but it's the drinks on the bus journeys coming back and the dice rolls that when your back's against the wall under your own post, mate, defending your third step, that you see it out, isn't it? It's them moments that are created through yeah. them. You can't you can't express it. Like those those long journeys back, um, the, the banter, the laughter, there's... You know, it's a bit of crude humour in, in league and like it's in loads of sports environments. It's that banter that, you know, most people would, in, in an office, you probably get sacked or HR would know about it and you're out. But they're the things that actually build that team. You know, that, that you know, the stories that don't be don't get shared outside of those rooms, um, they build the character. And when you know the, your back's against the wall, you know, you've got 12, 12 other blokes that are willing to go to war with you. So, yeah, for sure.
And if you're willing to, mate, a one to thirteen that you've played with. I wrote, I wrote it down. Thank God. I've, um, so I've got number one, Scott Drinkwater. Yeah. Winger um, is a guy from Ipswich. Wes Conlon, who's great. Uh, three, Marion Sebi, who's at the Storm. Zach Hardacre was four. I put my brother in there, James, as the winger, um, because yeah. my brother was probably um, he he should have gone on for more to be fair than what he did. Um, Brody Croft was six. There was yeah. a guy number seven. I got is Josh Cleland. So he's a guy in Australia. He was in. He played with us at Ipswich Jets, and he took my position actually. And um, after that, he went to the Bulldogs, and he should have played first team NRL. Um, number eight. Do you see a lot of that, Ollie? Sorry, do you, do you, have you noticed a lot of talent that you think oh. they should be ripping it up and just don't get the cut for some reason or other? Yeah, yeah, just didn't get it yeah. because of you know their face didn't fit in the team, you know, or the style of play. Like NRL is very structured, and then you've got these. It's loosening up a bit now, but at that stage, he was, that player was so off the cuff, he could create something out of nothing. But if that doesn't suit your plans of getting to X, Y, and Z, then um, they'd rather put someone in there who's very structured instead and, and, and stick to that, yeah. John. So, Maybe um, over here would have suited him then, eh? A bit like Rangi Chase. Yeah, Rangi Chase. Yeah. No, he would have suited it so much of you. Um, there's so many players in, in the Queensland Cup and New South Wales Cup that could come over here and, and do a right job, you know. Maybe the, the visa yeah. don't let them, but yeah. Um, number eight I've got is Ben Hannett. Nine, Brandon Smith. Ten, Christian Welsh. Eleven, uh, Kurt Catewell. He was my roommate at one stage. Uh, Twelve yeah. is uh, Morgan Knowles. Uh, Thirteen yeah. was Tino Fa'asumwali. Uh, Fourteen was Billy Walters. Fifteen was Stevie Ward. 16, Wella Haraki. And I went for the Welsh at the end. Uh, 17, Rodri Lloyd. You've been listening to Trot the Eggin. Thanks to our sponsors, Bardell Sports. Follow us on Twitter at Trot the Eggin and Instagram at Trot underscore the underscore egg underscore in.